Thanks, Steph. Uh, I was just going to say good morning, but it's now actually afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, it is good, so good to be with you today as we open up God's Word, and especially as we begin this new series, Life in the Ordinary. You may be wondering, what on earth are we going to do over this series? Well, I'm just about to explain that. Have you ever wondered this? Why do we do what we do here? Why do we gather? Why, 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 why are you here? It's just, uh, why are you here? No, <laughs> what? no seriously. Uh, no, why do we do what we do? Why do we gather on Sundays? But not only that, why do we do the things that we do when we gather? Have you ever asked that question? I hope you have. Or you're all just like them we minion jobs that just come and do what you do and don't ask any questions. Why do we do what we do? Why do we pray? Why do we sing? Why do we read the Word of God and hear it preached? Why do we do communion? And why do we do baptisms? Well, this series is hopefully going to explain why we do those things. The reason we do them is because God has given us these things to do as we gather, and they are what's known by theologians as this. The ordinary means of grace. The ordinary means of grace. And this idea of means of grace answers this question. And this is really important for us. Really important for us. If you're in here today and you're a follower of Christ, this is important. This idea of means of grace answers the question, how do I as a believer access the grace of God for my many, many needs? Where do I go? What do I do? How do I connect with the real help he gives to sinners who are suffering? This is how we do it. Jesus said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now I believe that, but how do we make that a reality in our lives? How do I come to him for his grace? And you see, God's not playing hide and seek with us. Sometimes, I think he, sometimes we think he is. He, he's not playing, if you can find me, all well and good. And if you can, if you can catch me, all well and good. But, but you're going to have to do that. He's not doing that. God wants us to be sure of him, to come to him, to draw strength from him, and have life in him. But how do we do it? Well, God has given us means and ways of doing just that. He has made himself knowable in specific ways of his Choosing, not ours. He has appointed things that we are to do so that we can know him. And these are called the ordinary means of grace. So what are they? They are prayer. They are the word both read and preached. They are fellowship, the gathered church. 
They are communion, which we practice every week, and their baptism. Let me read to you very quickly what the Westminster Confession of Faith puts it. It puts it better than I ever could. The outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer. Folks, that's why we do them. That's why when we gather as the church, we do the things we do. We didn't make this stuff up. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't sit around one day and be like, do you know what we should do when we gather on Sunday mornings? We should, really, we should, we should add prayer in there somewhere. We, do you know what we'll do? We'll read the Bible. That'll be good. No. These are things given to us by God. The pattern set out in Acts 2 that we've just read. So, what I want to say to you is this, as we begin this series. I want to contend with you that as we walk through each of those elements slowly over the next five weeks, today is really only setting up the series, but as we walk through those things individually, the the ordinary means of grace We will, if we practice them consistently, we will find life in them. We will find life in them. Now, I don't mean, hear me, I don't mean new life that only Christ brings. What I mean, when you hear me say we find life in the ordinary means of grace, hear me, this is what I'm saying. We will find spiritual vitality. And who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that? I'm going to contend that with you. Hold me to it. If you don't think I'm right, come and see me. But if we practice these things consistently, we will find life. And they are the ordinary means of grace. But as I said, today is really only setting the series up. So let's look at Acts 2 and we'll see what's going on in the life, this pattern that's set out in the early church. Now, you know this passage. We did a series in Acts Uh, I've preached this passage before. You'll know the passage. It's probably one of the most famous passages in Acts 2. But let's just put it in its context to see how it flows, and then we'll move into the bulk of the text this morning, right? And they devoted themselves, it begins with. Now, what's the first question you should ask when you hear that statement? And they devoted themselves. What's the first question you should ask? Who they? Who they? Right, glad you asked. Nobody asked that question. Right, glad you asked. Let me explain. Who they? Let me read back verse 37 in Acts 2. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter and the rest of the apostles, brother, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all those who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord has called to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's who they be. 
that's who they be. 3,000 new Christians. Do you, do you know something about Peter's sermon there, by the way? It's not so much seeker-sensitive. It's not so much the whole, you know, the friendship evangelism model. Did, did you see? Do you, you see the sermon and see what he preaches? Repent and be baptized. Earlier on in, in, the, in the chapter, if you go back to earlier on in chapter, chapter two, you'll see he says things like, "This Jesus, who you crucified." It's not seeker sensitive. It's not like, you know, I'll befriend these people and then we'll get to share the gospel. No, it's like, repent. Come to Jesus. 3,000 people are added to the church. 3,000 people coming to Jesus for forgiveness. That's who they be. Now, whatever comes next in the pattern of the early church, I think we should look at it and go, that's what we should do. Yeah? You with me? No? You don't look with me. Seriously. It's ridiculous. And I feel further away from you this morning. And like usually I get a bit of a, you know, so it's like, be with me. All right? 3,000 new Christians into the early church. God, in his infinite wisdom and mercy and might, has put this example in the New Testament for us. His Holy Spirit-inspired, inerrant word, so that we can look at it and go, Aha! That's what they did. So let's do that too. Yes? So whatever comes next, we're going to do. Right? Let's get into what comes next. Let's get into what comes next. First thing. So, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. They devoted themselves. Let's stop. Pause. I've said it before, I'll say it again. This word devotion is almost unrecognizable in the times that we live. The word means to persevere, stick at, see it through. Now, if you're anything like me, you find perseverance difficult. Anybody in the room find perseverance easy? No? No, that's what I thought. No one. I find perseverance difficult. Perseverance means doing the thing even when you don't want to do it. Being devoted means committing to something, sticking at it even when it's hard, showing up even when it doesn't suit. Recently saw a clip of Michael Phelps, one of the greatest swimmers ever known to man. The man is more fish than he is human. But uh, I saw a recent clip of him and he was talking about his, his daily routine which started at 6 a.m. He got up and he swam like for two hours solid at 6, like he started swimming. Swimming. Uh, and universal sign for swimming there. That there. Uh, 6 a.m., swam for two hours, got out of the pool, lifted weights for an hour, did what I, at breakfast then, went back into the pool, blah, blah, blah. This is every day of his life. And what Michael Phelps said about what separates the greats from everyone else 
is this. Doing it even when you don't want to. Doing it even when you don't want to. They were devoted. They did it even when they didn't want to. That is a message that you and I need to hear, folks. It's a message that I need to hear. Doing things even when we don't want to. Being devoted. Being consistent. And what we find is they were devoted to something. And what they were devoted to was, as I say, the ordinary means of grace. That's what they were devoted to. It's not like the flow of the passage doesn't make it difficult for us. It's very simple. They were, they were devoted to the thing. And these are the things that we're going to walk through for the next three or four weeks. So I don't want to get into them too deeply today. But let's just break them down. They were devoted, committed to, consistent with, sticking at the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? Well, that means that they were devoted to Scripture. These 3,000 new Christians, new believers were devoted to what the apostles were saying. So what were the apostles saying? The apostles were saying everything that they knew about the Old Testament pointing towards Jesus. That's what they would have been teaching them. They would have been teaching them the Psalms. They would have been teaching them the prophets. They would have been teaching them uh, further back, even in the creation narrative. They would have been teaching how all of it pointed towards Jesus. And they would have been teaching them what they knew of Jesus himself. They were devoted to the Word didn't move from it, didn't, didn't veer from it. That's what they were devoted to. They listened to it at every opportunity they had. As a church, we must be the same. Folks, God has given us, he has revealed himself to us through his word. It's what we call part of special revelation. God has revealed himself to us. And one important thing to note here, I've said this before, I'll say it again. These new believers who were empowered, who had received the gift of the Holy Spirit, this empowerment, this, this filling with the Holy Spirit didn't lead them away from the Word, but led them to the Word. Didn't lead them away from it, led them to it. Paul writes, we see this throughout the New Testament, the importance of the Word. Paul writes instruction to Timothy in Second Timothy. Now, again, the Apostle Paul writing instructions to a, new pa- a young pastor. It's important that we listen to it. What does he say? He says this, preach the Word. Preach the Word. That means expound the Scriptures. And... and, and it might, you might think it's a relatively obvious point to make that we as a church may, may be devoted to the teaching of Scripture, but it's not, and it can never be taken for granted. It's a priority then, and it's a priority now. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Devoted, sticking to, consistent with, turning up even when they don't want to. They were devoted to one another. They were devoted to fellowship. That word fellowship, as I've explained before, is often a confused word. It, it, it is taken sometimes for it simply, simply what we'll do after this. 
Like, what we'll do after this is we'll eat together. And sometimes that word is confused, and, and it can, people just think it's just that. It's just eating together. It's, just be, it's not. Holy Spirit fellowship is just exactly that. It can only be brought about by those who are bought with the blood of Christ, who are united in the Spirit of Christ. That's fellowship. God has called a people to himself and not a, a people called to be in community with one another. And folks, being in that community takes devotion. Takes consistency. Takes effort. Takes effort to be here. That's, you know, maybe noticed over the last couple of weeks uh, I think I did two weeks ago when I got up to do the announcement thing, I said, thank you for being here. Because it takes effort. It takes effort to be here. It takes effort for you to get out in the morning. It takes, it takes effort to gather week by week. But we have to make it a priority. We have to be devoted to it. Listen to these words from Hebrews. Let us consider how to stir one another Stir one another up to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as, it, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you say the day, draw, day drawing near. You see, what the writer of the Hebrews is saying, let us consider to stir one another up to good works. We can't do that if we're not together. Makes sense. So what he's saying is, be together. Don't be isolated. Be together. We need to be together to stir one another up, to keep each other on the, on the, on the right path. Also, there's, a, there's an element of protection in it. When we're together, there is an element of protection. The church, God has ordained the church for protection for one another. When you're isolated, you are vulnerable. When you're isolated, you are vulnerable. Take it, take it from me, who has stood before you as your pastor now for over eight years. We see it as leadership time and time and time again. If you isolate yourself, you are vulnerable. I've used this example before, but you've, like, you've all watched it. You've all watched like the, the wildlife shows where the antelope are like, <laughs> right? Just moseying through the desert, everything's fine. And you always get the one wing nut who, like, oh, I'd be an antelope over here by myself. <laughs> and he goes away. What happens to him? Mr. Lion sees him. And because he's not with the rest of them, what does Mr. Lion do? Kills him. Eats him. Devours him. Folks, it's funny. It is the exact same with the isolated Christian. It is the exact same with the isolated Christian. Wing not antelope. <laughs> The devil's not playing games. As soon as you're isolated, he comes after you. 
fellowship. They were devoted to being with one another. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. Don't want to get into that too much now because that's going to be one of the major ones we're going to look at. And they were devoted to prayer. It seems self-explanatory, but, but they were devoted to prayer because they believed in the power of prayer. They believed that, that through them, God has ordained this means that if they pray, God does stuff. Funny enough, that's the way he has made it to work. They were devoted to it. Prayer is the ultimate statement that we are not in control, and he is. I love John Piper's quote on social media. He says this. Let me ask you a question before I give you the quote. Could you say, could I say, that I'm devoted to prayer? Now I'll give you the quote. Piper says this. One of the greatest uses of Twitter and Facebook, you could add Instagram in there, you could add TikTok in there, you could add whatever you want in there, will prove that on the last day, prayerlessness was not for lack of time. One of the greatest uses of Twitter, social media, whatever it may be, will be that it will prove that prayerlessness was not for the lack of time. Are we devoted to prayer? Right. So, you look at those things. You look at these 3,000 brand new believers, and you think, right, okay, they're devoted. They're sticking at it. They're persevering. They're, what are they persevering to? The apostles teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Right, okay, brilliant. Let's do that. Let's do that. You with me? Yeah? Are you? No, no, seriously, I'm asking you. Are you with me on that? Yeah? Because it's the Bible? It's not me? Yeah? We're all together. No, you're really not convincing me here at all. Seriously, it's brutal. Right. We're saying we're going to, like, these, these things, right? Let's do these things. Now, why do I say, why do I believe why do I believe and contend with you that if we commit to doing these things consistently, that we will find life in them? Why do I contend that? Because we're told in this very passage what it produced. Look, look at the flow of the passage. Peter preaches. 3,000 people added to the church. 3,000 people get saved. What do they do? They devote themselves to these things. What happens next? Look, look with me. And all who believed were together. And they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing to the proceeds to all who had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. If that's not life, I don't know what is. Look at it. You may think I'm making a big claim here when I say that we'll get spiritual vitality in these things, but look at that. What did it produce? What did this life, this consistent being devoted to these things produce? Well, one, it produced awe. They saw the supernatural on a regular basis. 
Right? This may be waking you up. Does anyone want to or desire to see miracles happen? No. Right, we're closing it up. Does anybody? Do you want to see the supernatural happen in our day? I do. I want to see people healed. I want to see people provided for in supernatural ways. I want that. I'm all in. I want that. We should be all in on that as a church. We should be. I want to see that. I want that to be a part of our church life. And I can only speak for myself here. But maybe the reason I'm not seeing the supernatural on a regular basis is because I'm not devoted to the simple, ordinary means of grace that God has given me to be. One result was that they saw the supernatural on a regular basis. The second result is this. You'll know this phrase. It produced radical generosity. And it wasn't just on their website. They didn't have a website. Just to... All right, Carly. They didn't have a website. Just saying. It was real, radical generosity. Let me read this verse and let it sit. Verse 45. And they, who they? Who they? Who they be? The 3,000. And they were selling their possessions. And belongings. And distributing the proceeds to all who had need. Just going to let that sit. And then I'm going to slide in with some help. Because that thing you're feeling right now, when I've read that verse... That's scripture. That's in the Bible. That was the pattern of what they did. They sold their possessions, their belongings, and gave it to those who had need. Right? Let me slide in with some help for you. One of my favorite verses. No, not one of. My favorite verse in the entirety of scripture is Romans Romans chapter 8 verse 1. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? So, when you hear that verse and you look at your life, the purpose is not that you feel condemned. Because, guess what? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But do you see that sick feeling that you have in your stomach? That's called conviction. That's called conviction. Because we all are a million mile away from what the early church was like. Condemnation and conviction are two very different things. Let me say that. You're not feeling condemnation right now because there is none for those who are in Christ Jesus. But you may well be feeling conviction. It produced 
the miraculous, and it produced radical generosity. That's what we see. What else? It produced worship. Verse 47, praising God. This is going to blow your mind. This is, this is going to blow your mind. They worshipped because they had been saved from an eternity in hell. Mind-blowing, isn't it? Folks, we should be, I am preaching to myself, we should be running through these doors on a Sunday morning to get to worship with the people of God. Why? Because if you're in Christ Jesus, you have been saved from an eternity in hell. Now, if that doesn't produce worship, we need to look at ourselves. We need to look at ourselves. Doesn't mean we're all like, trust, like, look at me. It doesn't mean we're all happy and clappy and buzzing and all that there. But what I mean is worship. When we see these words on the screen, when we hear the band play, we are worshiping. Because Jesus has saved us. And the tears may well be streaming down our face. And our lives may well be miserable. But we are worshipping because Jesus has saved us. Amen? It produced worship. Four things it produced. It produced the miraculous. It produced radical generosity. It produced worship. And finally, it produced mission. It produced mission. A devotion to the ordinary means of grace produced mission. Read with me. If you've got a Bible, read with me and we'll see where I'm getting this. Uh, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking their bread in their homes, they received their food with loud and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And what? The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This group of people, this 3,000 people, were going out from being together, from being in each other's homes. They were going out into the world and they were telling people about Jesus. And guess what happens when that happens? People come to Jesus and they get into the church and the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Right. I'm seriously quitting. Let me, let me ask you, let me be very real. That's going rogue at half twelve. People are getting worried. Right? Let me ask you, do you want the church to grow? Do you really want the church to grow? A conversation with someone this week. This is a common theme. We all like the idea of church growth until it happens. And it's not the same as it was. Like all these new people coming in. I literally had a conversation with someone this week who said the very same thing. They've noticed it. The church, the church they're pastoring the church, and, and, and it has grown. And people are like, we much preferred it when it was the way, it was, the way that it was. 
I remember being in here one day, and someone made a comment. It was a joke. I know it was a joke. And it was a joke from this person. But it reflects a wee bit of our hearts sometimes. They said this. Who are all these new people? I don't know anybody anymore. Is that our attitude? Are we the back to Egypt club? Where we look back, like I do it. I'm just going to be straight up honest, I do it. I look back at the market house days with great nostalgia. And that's all it is, because it was awful. <laughs> it's all it is. It's, it's nostalgia. It's like romanticism. It's like looking back at the end being, oh, how great it was. Still rubbish. <laughs> no. Do we want the church to grow? I pray that we do. Because the church growing means people coming to Jesus. And that's our mission. That's our mission. People meeting Jesus. Never, ever, ever let us forget that, folks. Never let us take our eye off the ball. And as we start this series, and as we start a new, like, term time, whatever it's called, first week September, whatever it is, let's not take our eye off the ball that our mission is to, is, to, is to go out there and see people coming to Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life. Yes? We gather here, we do the things that we do, we, we get fired up, we get pumped, and then we go. And we tell people about King Jesus. We tell people about the love that he has for them. And we tell people about the grace that he has for them. And we pray that the Spirit of God would convict them and bring them to himself. I hope as we walk through these next four or five weeks together, we will become a church who are devoted to the ordinary means of grace. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, I thank you so much that you have made yourself knowable. That you're not hiding from us. You're not playing hide and seek. You want us to know you. You want us to be sure of you. You, you want us to have you. And so even as we now sing your praise, as we take communion together, we pray that you'll speak to us. Give us that desire to, to, to worship. Give us that desire to, to witness, to go on mission. Just, just speak, Lord, we pray. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it does everything that it's supposed to do. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen.